Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And, uh, you know, Julie, I had a an, an interesting um, experience uh, recently. I, I mean, it was other things, too, but there were aspects of it that were interesting. Um, my father died, um, which, of course, comes with a lot of shock and a lot of emotional um, turmoil. But mm-hmm. uh, but the, the technology, modern technology, seems to make these things uh, flow a little different. Like, after uh, I, I talked to him on the phone, uh, like, earlier in the day, and then I got this call that he was dead. And uh, and so, I, I mean, no, knowing that... I, I knew he was dead, but I picked up my cell phone mm-hmm. and I, for you know, some reason I, I pulled him up on that and I called him. Mm-hmm. And then of course it went straight to uh, his answering machine and I, I heard this electronic away message, this question posed to me, you know, um, out of the void. And then I, I left my response, uh, you know, the, and, uh, you know, this in, in a sense is, you know, it's the same message I've heard when I've called him and, and missed him, uh, you know, or, you know, or called him when I was in the middle of something, you know, many times before. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this strange feeling, you know, of, of conversing with the technology of a person uh, that lives on after that person is gone. Like this technological remnant of your yeah. dad. Yeah, like little like technological you know, pieces of my father, you know, insignificant pieces, of mm-hmm. him, to be sure. But but pieces all the same. So, you know, since then, I've like I've saved the messages that he'd left me. I've um, and, and I, you know, and I've found myself wondering things like, oh, what have I recorded our last phone call? Because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have this you know, recording device. I could have done it. I do it all the time for interviews if I, you know, if I'd only, you know, had any inkling. Right. And uh, so it's it, it you end up questioning, like, what if what if I, I could what if I could have done this? What what else would I have done? What if I could have preserved him digitally in some way? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh and then the other question, is there any sense to that at all? Is that just, uh. Well, I don't know. I mean, we have been documenting ourselves, you know, since, since we, I think, became aware of ourselves. Right. I don't know how to put it best, but I mean, if you think about the, you know, the, the, the daguerreotype, right? The, you know, all of a sudden it was, yeah, photographs were widely used. Mm-hmm. And that was a different way of remembering our loved ones. And going back to the memory, right, which has been so important to us. Um, so it kind of makes sense that as we are, you know, smack dab in the, the digital age now, that we'd begin to layer these different uh, pieces of, of archiving together. Yeah, a couple of interesting examples come to mind. Um, I mean, for, for starters, of course, anytime someone has written something or created something, most of those creations ex- continue to exist in some form after the, the author or the artist has passed mm-hmm. away. So, you know, a book becomes a, a remnant of the person. Uh, um, you know, a, a song they wrote becomes a remnant. Um, I can't, can't help but think of Mark Twain's biography or yeah. you know, the volumes in his biography that are coming out 100 years after his death. Right, that stipulation that right. it could not be published until 100 years after his death. Right, which, which on one hand, that's pretty, uh, you know... Pretty ballsy to be like, yeah, a hundred years from now, they're still going to be craving me. So yeah, uh, that's Mark Twain, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but also, it it, it feels kind of eerie. It's like, hey, Mark Twain has a new book out. He's been dead a century, but here's here's this new book, and mm-hmm. here are words that that next to no one has heard before from him. Right, and and a different understanding of him right. now. Right. Um, because I guess he felt comfortable in uh, in sharing that information only one hundred years after his death, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Another example that comes to mind, and this one is also non-electronic, 
uh, happened on an, a recent episode of This American Life, uh, the NPR um, radio show slash podcast. Uh, and it was titled Parent Trap was mm-hmm. the, with the episode. And there was a segment about a, a 16-year-old girl named Rebecca, and her mom died of cancer. But before the mom died, she wrote a series of letters to be delivered each year after her death, one uh, one for, for each birthday uh, that Rebecca would have in the years uh, afterward. So for like 13 years, Yeah, like right? 13 years. <laughs> and then one letter to be del- delivered to her on the uh, the day of her, her, her wedding. Yeah. So, uh, and, and this is, this was just a fascinating study into, like, into these, you know, th- these missives sent off from, you know, in a way from beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. Cause like the first, uh, the first one she receives a year after, um, after her death. And it's, you know, it's emotional. It's, but it's comforting somehow. You know, you're hearing from this right. person. But as the years roll on, they become less comforting. They become these grief bombs that go off, uh, each year to the point where she's kind of dreading them. Um, and, uh, and the, the mother that is conversing with her is still this mother of, you know, five years ago, six years ago, mm-hmm. seven years, years ago, talking to a version of her that doesn't really exist anymore because we right. change. You know, the, the person I was a year ago isn't the person I am now. The person I'm going to be in a year isn't the person I am now. So you get this, this increasingly disjointed conversation across time. Uh, because it's like her mother's projections of who she wants her to be. Right. And she's, Evolving as a person, and and that's not matching up, right? Right. So we bring we bring these examples the, then into a discussion of cyber immortality or, mm-hmm. or digital immortality, and the idea that the the more technological um, stuff that we pile onto our being, uh, the more it becomes possible for that stuff to live on after we're dead. Right. And then what does that mean? And how do we process this? And, and what good does it do ultimately? Well, and what's so interesting to me too is that it does become like an afterlife for us. Yeah. Right. I mean, we, you know, in the biblical sense, the, there's, there's the heaven and afterlife right mm-hmm. there where you, where you continue to exist in another form. It's, you know, essentially if, if you've got uh, cyber immortality, you're existing in another form. Right. Right. And it's interesting to break down, um, and we're going to take this is a very scientific uh, uh, look at it and, and a psychological look at it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're just discounting uh, religion for a second here. Um, and we're going to talk about why do we have this idea of a soul? And indeed, why do we have this idea of a mind? And uh, psych- psychologist Paul Bloom argues that humans imagine that we have souls because the human brain has no awareness of its own functioning. Mm-hmm. Right. We falsely perceive ourselves to be separate from our bodies. I mean, our brain can, I, we've discussed in the past how our brain can wrap itself around everything except itself. So we have minds. So we have souls. I mean, the bulk of our brain's processes exist outside of what we can experience. Mm-hmm. And what we do experience, we experience at a slight delay. So, um, so we have to compartmentalize it somewhat where we end up viewing ourselves as being outside of our bodies. Uh, so along with this argument, according to science author William Sims Bainbridge, religion enables us to turn the idea of the soul, um, turn to the idea of the soul to achieve highly desired rewards that are unattainable in the real world, like mm-hmm. living forever or being re- becoming reunited with uh, loved ones and friends that we've lost. Yeah, and it's very interesting that in that Bainbridge article from The Futurist, um, I think that was from 2006. Uh, yes, I believe the, so. Pretty prescient stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. there, he's talking about how it's very possible that technology could supplant some of the ways in which religion is used. 
And again, there's that idea of the afterlife, this idea that there's an assurance that there's meaning to our lives, that there's some sort of flicker of our existence that extends beyond our mortality, right? Right. Um, and then create an, an archive of our memories that we could transfer to AI surrogates. He talks about in this article, uh, like robots, avatars, and distributed intelligence would essentially do that job. Yeah, or like a virtual world that you might, you know, jack into. Where it's your, you know, it's your childhood living room, and there's your father, or your grandfather, right. or your uncle, or or whoever uh, that you might converse with them again. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but of course we know too with the Blue Brain Project that we are trying to map our brains. There, there are uh, scientists that are trying to do this with computer models, and are doing it with a rat brain right now. So we're we're trying to get to that mm-hmm. point where we understand how our brain works, and actually maybe see our consciousness in action. Right. And, we, and of course, we're well, obviously we're, we're putting more and more profiles out there, like our, our Facebook profiles, uh, right. our Twitter feeds, um, all these things. I mean, even our, our cell phones, uh, our, our various accounts, our Flickr accounts, um, it, it kind of like the way I, I end up looking at it, it's kind of like this exoskeleton that we build. And, uh, and when the, the person inside that exoskeleton goes away, mm-hmm. you still have this this at least faint form of them. It's kind of like a shade or a ghost even. Uh, and and because what is the Facebook profile or, or the blog of a of a dead person but but a but a ghost, an, an electronic ghost that's still out there. Uh it may not be interacting with us uh, anymore, but to a certain extent we can interact with it and we can it's still there as if they are alive. Right. There's there you have had some sort of trace of yourself uh on the web, right? Right. In cyberspace, which is, it's fascinating to think of that. And you actually sent me a really interesting article about a company called Virtual Eternity, uh, which is offering an avatar that takes the results of your Myers-Briggs personality test, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, assuming that you're doing all of this work while you're alive, right? Right. Um, and then along with all your memories and photos, uh, and, and it actually has a, a computing process that has an endless capacity for data acquisition of you. Um, and it can then interact with others and will share specific memories depending on the clearance level of a, fa- a family member or a friend. So it's really interesting that you could set up this avatar of yourself, mm-hmm. fill it with all of your memories, give it whether, whatever information you want to give it, and then you live on for your relatives, you know, it, who knows, I guess, uh, forever, for as long as the Internet is alive, right? Right. And... And certain people have different access to different emotions or information. Yeah. Which is kind of creepy if you think about hackers, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird to, I mean, that's, that's a huge concern. Um, because the, the more and more information one puts into something like this, because, um, because Bainbridge, uh, he, he even argued that the online uh, memorial, like a website honoring uh, someone who's deceased mm-hmm. is in a sense a precursor to cyber immortality. And then this avatar that we've just discussed is even an even more robust model of it. And as this can, if this continues to evolve, you know, you'll reach the point where to create a, to create a more and more accurate simulation of a person, mm-hmm. you'd have to put more and more information to the point where you'd have a lot of sensitive information. Right. Because, and think of the things that make us who, that make us who we are. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the, uh, <laughs> in the architecture there that we don't want out in the public. Uh, you know, we might, um, you know, flippantly say, oh, I wish I could take that memory away or, or that weird thing that I do away, but it makes us who we are. And it's all a part 
of the uh, of the finished product. You know, we can't pick and choose and then keep the the the, the form. You know, we can't see the joinery and all things. Well, I mean, I look at it and I think this is something that you can edit. This is a version of yourself that you can edit and put out there yeah. and people can visit. And But then it's not really you. It's not really you, but also uh, we, we all know the amount of information that we're sharing mm-hmm. online. So there's this different picture of us that could be forming depending on access levels, right? right. Um, I mean... If you have a criminal record <laughs> and, uh, and if that were released, that would certainly be information that people could access. Um, so again, there's this like, there's this idea of who, who we want to be in our cyber immortality and whether or not that's attainable. Right. Well, then you get into issues because remember, it's kind of like funerals. Um, uh, there, there are always this sort of tug and pull, um, of where one, you know, the, Someone might be, well, so-and-so wouldn't have wanted this to happen. But then it ultimately comes down to what does the family want to happen. Right. But then maybe there's the, the what the immediate family wanted of this uh, deceased individual and what the, uh, the, uh, the, the friends wanted or what other parts of the family wanted. So would you reach a point where you had several different versions of this person that were uh, memorialized in some sort of virtual setting? Um, right. If, if nothing else, it just comes from the fact of, like, like which which version in the past? Like, do you want the... Like some people were, may have been closer to John Doe a year before he died versus people who knew him two decades ago. And that's a very different person uh, to have a connection to. Yeah. So I guess the question is, could you really get to the point where you could establish those sort of complexities to, to give a full picture of who that person was? And like mm-hmm. you said, everybody has different relationships with people and, um, and and it brings out different aspects of that person. Right. So is that fully represented? Is it possible Again, from the article that you talked about with Bainbridge, uh, that's called Battle to Save Our Souls by William Sims Bainbridge from Futurist um, from 2006. Uh, he says, somewhat farther in the future, we can expect the development of rigorous means for recording and classifying all of a person's perhaps 50,000 episodic memories. That is, memories of specific events and feelings that accompany them. A memory of the past event may exist as a network of mental associations linking images of a few of the people and things in a particular scenario. Hmm. So he's he's imagining this database. And lo and behold, uh, according to the Daily Galaxy, the National Science Foundation has awarded a half-million-dollar grant to the universities of Central Florida and Illinois at Chicago to explore how researchers might use artificial intelligence, um, archiving, and computer imaging to create digital, lifelike versions of real people. And they're also using video game-type technology. So... Um, to your point, like, you know, can you, can you construct this, this avatar of yourself in your living room? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, what they're talking about is taking, um, the folks, you know, at that National Science Foundation are basically talking about taking this virtual eternity offering mm-hmm. that this company does and really sort of amping it up in terms of matrixing, matrixing your emotions, um, and your personality, Myers Briggs, so on and so forth. And and trying to have a fuller representation. Wow, but the the more full that representation becomes, it also you you, you see arguments about whether um, robots, computer AIs, will eventually reach the point to where they have rights of some kind, where they're con- considered yeah. um, at least corporations, if not people. You know, in terms of the the rights afforded to them. Yeah. So, like, do you, you reach the point where who has the authority to say copy? 
that program that is the uh, the simulation of you, mm-hmm. or if or ultimately if you if you remove some some more of the the ideas of the soul and you get down to the idea of of who we are is information in our brain, then you're then then what's the difference between that and this version in the computer uh, it, as it grows more and more perfect? Who has the right to copy it? Who has the right to delete it? Is deleting it murder? Um, right. Who, yeah. Who has the right to talk mean to it? You know, is yeah. that? I mean, it, should we feel ethically? Um, crappy if we uh, if we pull up a, a program of our uncle carl and we just go in and tell him how upset we are when he uh you know didn't eat the meatloaf we prepared uh you know six christmases ago well and even if you could perfect it and you had this database um basically of of a loved one um and you could you could take let's say the a response to a questionnaire it's a bunch of questionnaires that that person filled out mm-hmm. And you could feed that into an automated decision support system so that it could interact with you and, uh, in a way that felt realistic. It's still, as, as we talked about, um, with the letters, you, you know, this, this thing, this person that you knew is now interacting with you at a much later date and you're a different person. Yeah. So it's still not going to be the person that you thought was the person, right? Because they yeah. can't recognize you. They can't recognize change. Presumably, this this type of technology isn't going to be that complex. Yeah, and if you were to take the simulation of you know, say, a, you know, a deceased parent, and put them in like a virtual sandbox world, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to like, how does how does that work? They would have to continue, in a way, they'd have to continue a separate timeline or something. You know, it like they would have to. It would be hard to keep them. If you kept them the same, that would be a problem. Mm-hmm. But then also continuing to allow them to develop into a new person uh, in this program form would would seem to be really complex and well and problematic as well. Also what you brought up is this idea of ownership. Yeah. Right? So who owns this this virtual representation of your loved one? Yeah, and can they charge are they charging you for it? Like what Yeah. You know? Are they charging you for it? What happens 25 years down the road if they happen to sell the company or you know, and and what what happens as we continue to layer on all this different data um in, in cyberspace about ourselves, do, do, you know, does this, do these sort of avatars get shuttled away somewhere? Do they exist indefinitely? Um, can, is it feasible that you could have 10 gen- generations down from where you are now being able to access all of their, their different relatives and, and look at the various pieces of information? Right. I mean, you is, know, we, is the internet that deep? Yeah. And we talk about identity theft now, but if you had this much information online, it would, it would amount to, Soul theft or mind theft, and uh, which yeah. you know, which is yeah. which is far worse than your, your your credit card number. I was thinking about that. If you took what is available today, right? If you mm-hmm. just took um, that, like the virtual eternity, the the company that's doing that, and let's say my grandmother had participated in this, and we had her Myers Briggs, and we had all of her memories and her photos. Now, let's say that um, you took what the National Science Foundation is doing and doing a more deep archiving of this person. And then now let's say that you, you marry that with a, the blue brain technology, right? A blue brain mm. uh, project technology, which again is mapping the human brain, um, in precise cellular detail and it's simulating neural activity. Let's right. say that they, you know, had built my grandmother's brain in that sense. Who's to say that someone couldn't then take basically this blueprint of my grandmother and use her in in a robot or, yeah. you know, or for advertising, you know, advertising, advertising company yeah. buys copies of a bunch of these like we want to really market to grandma. So give me, you know, 
give me, uh, you know, 50 uh, dead grandma minds and let me throw a whole bunch of product ideas at them. Like right. This. And it's kind of and you can see how that would be so intriguing and so seductive because it would be a, a very real feeling representation of someone's life or their feelings or their thoughts and used in this marketing way, which would really sort of tug at the heartstrings of people. Right. Right. Um, but, you know, and of course, I'm awfulizing there, but it's possible. Yeah, I'm awfulizing. <laughs> I think that's an Oprah term. Okay. Um, but, you know, I'm saying, okay, what really, what is, there's no legislation around this, right? There are no rules mm-hmm. around it. And I think that's why we're bringing it up and saying, okay, you can, you can see right now what's in existence and you can see the roadmap going forward that there's a real possibility that these versions of ourselves, multiple versions of ourselves could exist. Um, which is, Pretty fascinating. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and to go back to the letter, um, the, th- the 13 year old's letter from her mom, uh, you know, at what point would you, 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 you know, it seems like a good idea at first to cyber immortalize a, a, a deceased loved one. Mm-hmm. But then you reach the point where it's like, well, well, heck, I guess I have to go out and kill the electronic ghost of my, my dead parent because they're not. They're not benefiting me anymore, and it's now it's just kind of creepy, or now it's just tra- traumatic. It feels like yeah. you're being haunted. Yeah, yeah. Um, another aspect of this that was brought up in the Bainbridge uh, Futurist article is that uh, y- you could use it very practically right now as a sort of backup database to your brain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this type of effective computing could help inform other devices such as robots to better respond to you, uh, depending on your mental and physical states. Which is sort of interesting, right? That that piece of AI in which we could have this sort of uh, robot that is enhancing the way that we think, and that it's anticipating, and maybe even I was thinking about about this, uh, looking at the blind spots in the way that we think. Huh. So it, that's very possible that we could use this technology to try to uh, approach maybe problems from a different angle, hmm. right? If you have a copy of your brain, essentially, that you can access and um, and and play with, but. That it seems like it, we would reach the point where, like, already we know we no longer know how to spell because of <laughs> Firefox and, uh, and and spell check. We don't know how to. We haven't known how to do simple math. Uh, you know, well, except for you math, mathematicians out there. But a lot of us have forgotten how to do simple math because we always have that calculator handy. First the pocket calculator, yeah. now the various calculators on all of our gadgets. Well, so I, I so see what we, you're saying. Yeah, like, do we you, forget to think. Do you just turn to your database and yeah. go? Think, okay, that's that algorithm for like, what do I want to eat for lunch today? Yeah. And then I'll say, Hey, you want some pizza? Yeah. Great. You know, and then do we, do we reach the tipping point between the person and this technological exoskeleton to where the, the techno, technological exoskeleton is more the person than the flesh and blood person at the core of it? Well, and already the interesting thing about that is that we already know the online representations that we put out there and edit. Are a different version of ourselves, or the friendlier, right. nicer, whatever versions of ourselves. Most of the time, yeah. Um, Sometimes nakeder, uh, you know, depending on the person. You, you know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, but you know, the question is: Do will people really want to? <laughs> do Do they really want to talk to the real you or the uh, avatar you? Yeah, you already have that in existence we already right now. Have, yeah, created that distinction. Yeah, right? can you imagine all the different? layers, you know, that, that might be possible to, to put on top of that. Uh, the other use that this technology could be, um, employed is with the elderly. They could actually use portable digital devices documenting their lives to help them remember facts. So they could kind of dive back into their memories, um, to, to help them sort of, um, 
say, oh, that's my daughter visiting me or that's my grandchildren or so on and so forth. So they would essentially be interacting with yeah. some of this technology. But that reminded me so much of the Vim Vendors film Until the End of the World. And I won't go into the plot, but I'll just say that in a sort of quasi post-apocalyptic world, uh, people have access to this type of technology and it's actually documenting their dreams. So they're going into their past and they get completely addicted huh. to to these portable devices showing them their their previous life because of course they're you know they're living in like rotted out canyons or something uh, I don't know if canyons can rot but you get the idea yeah um and, and post elliptic squalor <laughs> um and they they keep returning to this other part of their lives and they become completely addicted they quit eating they just all they want to do is review their memories from their dreams oh wow and so I thought is it, is it possible that you could Build something like this to the point where you do, you stop living in the present and you start mining all the data of your own life. Yeah. Like I could easily, like when you're talking about, um, uh, the elderly, like I, I, I would instantly imagine like two old dudes meeting each other for the first time in a retirement home. Yeah. Like both of them just asleep in their chairs while they're, um, they're like 40 or 50 something avatars conversed, um, you know, <laughs> via USB cable or something, you know, and, yeah. or, or does it come to the point where it's like, say, two, uh, two 40 year olds meet and they're like, Hey, how are you going? Uh, and then as the two 40 year olds, uh, meet each other, they upload their, uh, several different versions of their past self so they can mm-hmm. meet too. Cause yeah. knowing the, the current me isn't quite enough. I want the digital copy of your 30 year old self to meet the digital version of my 30 year old self or, you know, in various, <laughs> you know, you could just go, go crazy with this vision of the future. And I will tell you that that's something that to me, I would, I have to say, you know, if I'm 80 years old, I would love to have, because I would love to be able to share with people the different things that I did in my life, particularly if I had a problem communicating because I had memory problems. If I could just draw it up and be like, here's me, you know, rocking out, I don't know, somewhere. Well, see, yeah, the old you brings up, with the memory problems, brings up the young you and then berates her for all of her hard uh, partying. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, look what you did. (laughs) I don't remember anything now. Yeah. So they can be our punching bags, you know? Yeah, there's all sorts of possibilities here. But uh, back to the... the, the, the rea- reality in uh, in our current time, mm-hmm. um, uh, Facebook already has a thing where um, uh, when when you uh, when you die, uh, your profile oh, is right. memorialized, mm-hmm. uh, and this is this is like right off in right off the website. When a user passes away, we memorialize their account to protect their privacy. Memorializing an account sets the account privacy so that only confirmed friends can see the profile or locate it in search. The wall remains so friends and family can leave posts in remembrance. Memorializing an account also prevents anyone from logging into the account. And to to add a little extra to that, um, a recent uh, estimate put the number of U.S. Facebook uh, users who die annually at something like 375,000. Wow, okay. Um, which is, you know, probably going to go up. Um, and then in the world of Twitter... There's a, a really interesting uh, thing oh, going yeah, you on. Oh, yeah, told me about this. Yeah, Jonathan Strickland uh, turned me on to this, who has an article. By the time this web, this, uh, this episode comes out, his article on the How Stuff Works website, How Digital Immortality Works, should be out. So be sure to check out that after you listen to this. Um, but uh, Jonathan told me about this blogger by the name of Brian Brushwood, who teamed up with a web guru by the name of Patrick Delante. And uh, they launched Afterlife Me. That's A F T E R. L-Y-F-E dot M-E um, to pursue this idea of digital immortality. So the idea is you create a dead man switch on your online life. Mm-hmm. Like every every time your birthday rolls around, you need to go in and push a button 
Otherwise, it's going to activate the afterlife for you yeah. in terms of social media, which means you'll, your Twitter account will start, say, throwing out random mundane um responses or your Facebook. Op- I'm just thinking about like the smart Alec things that you could do. Yeah. Like, uh, like Mark Twain with the, with the biography, everyone's dead. So what does it matter? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, um, but then also your Facebook account would be programmed to say, uh, give birthday, uh, wishes to, to all your friends and family on their, on their birthdays. Yeah. Things of that nature. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it, the, the, the website is just in its early stages right now. The, the, it's not, you can basically sign up and just get updates on the status of this. But it's an interesting, uh, like first real stab at cyber immortality. And, uh, and it, and it brings in all these questions. The same, you know, to what extent is this weird and cool? What, to what, what extent is it comforting? Will it help with people with their bereavement? Right. And to what extent would it eventually become creepy? And right. someone would have to and say, haunting. yeah, where someone says, man, I'm going to have to act, call somebody at Twitter to get them to turn off uh, you know, my best friend's Twitter account because right. it's no longer cute. Now it's just sad. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know this. And again, this is what's so fascinating about this topic is, you know, technology again makes us rethink our place in the world and, and how to manage our ideas of ourselves and our loved ones. Cool. Well, hey, I have some, uh, missives from the void right here in the form of, uh, well, first, first one is an email that I'm particularly excited about. Uh, this one comes from a listener by the name of Bruce. And Bruce says, Hi folks, I was listening to a podcast of yours on a long drive. It was on viruses. Robert mentioned Maximilian, the big red robot in the black hole. Thanks much. I built that robot many years ago working effects at Disney. That little blast from the past perked me right up. I spent two years of my life working on that flick. Thanks again for the indirect shout-out. Regards, uh, Bruce. So, uh, How cool is that? That was awesome, yeah. Because yeah. That, that, is a, uh, that is a movie that uh, uh, I just grew up with. And... Uh, and, and and I don't I don't know what you call the affection that a like three year old or five year old boy um, has for a uh, evil red robot, but uh, I, I definitely a bot crush. Yeah, I definitely had a bot crush on Maximilian, um, and uh, and and so that's awesome to to hear that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only thing even close to that was when I was working for a, a newspaper in Tullahoma, Tennessee. I interviewed a guy who ran a local antique store who helped build the set. Uh, the giant bed that they created for the uh, film Stephen King's Cat's Eye. Because oh. they have a little troll who's like, you know, it's like yay big, very little, little tiny guy. Yeah. And he's running around on uh, on this bed and jumping around. So they had to create this enormous version of a... It's for the scale of the troll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had to create an enormous children's room with this, like, you know, like a, a bed two stories tall. And he showed me all these pictures on it. So. Did you purchase the bed? No, no, it was enormous. But apparently <laughs> uh, the guy told me uh, when I was talking to him that there was an ongoing bet to see um, who could, um, well, well, to to see who could, let's well to keep it tame, see who could sleep in that bed first. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, but uh, but anyway, that but that was cool. But Maximilian is even cooler. So thanks, yeah. uh, Bruce. I really appreciate that. And um, uh, one little note. Um, so I threw out a question on our Facebook profile, which is blow the mind. Uh, you can look at it. It's Blow the Mind on Facebook, and we're also Blow the Mind on Twitter. But I put out the question, what will 500 years of life do to the human mind? Uh, which is similar to what we're talking about here. 
Uh, and uh, I put this on the new How Stuff Works forums. So mm-hmm. everybody out there, you can log into the forum, create an account, log in, and you you know you can converse on the Facebook, but you can also converse on the forum and respond to various articles, uh, etc. Um, but uh, a listener by the name of uh, Richard responded, and he says, uh, "quote It is difficult to separate the biological from the mental and the brain. They are connected, and so characteristics of the body." follow into the brain and thus the mind. I believe that the system limitations and specs of the brain correspond to the body. It seems that without the assistance of technology, our bodies are meant to survive in the natural world between 40 and 60 years. Since the brain-mind co-evolved with the body, it is reasonable to surmise that the specs are similar for the brain-mind. With that said, I think that we have a certain capacity for experience and memory. When we exceed this capacity, I believe that we begin to feel a certain fatigue set in that leads to depression, and thus, um, a, and thus we feel the need to move on. So uh, I, huh. I thought that was uh, some interesting commentary there from Richard, and uh, and uh, some other people have already responded with some cool stuff. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's very thought provoking. Yeah. So you know, come onto the the Facebook or the Twitter or the forums and interact with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on all these mind blowing questions. That's right. And you can always drop us a line as well at below the mind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.